once people become aware, they can begin to understand. So the World Peace Diet is a big picture book. It's a book that gives the big picture, talks about the anthropology and sociology, history, nutrition, economics, and politics, and the whole thing. If you want to understand our society, that's really the key to understand our culture. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast. I'm Maya Acosta, and I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. Hello, my beautiful listeners. I hope that you enjoyed my recent conversation with Courtney Garza McCulloch. She introduced me to Mega Shaw, the co-founder of True V here in Dallas. Mega and I will host my next podcast guest during his Benevolent Revolution Tour again here in Dallas at her establishment. And you will learn more about Mega soon in an upcoming episode. Follow me on Instagram where I highlight short videos of future episodes. And that's at Maya, M-A-Y-A underscore H-L-S underscore podcast. Dr. Will Tuttle is an author, speaker, and musician best known for his book, The World Peace Diet. In it, he argues that the root cause of many of the world's problems, including war, poverty, and environmental destruction, is our treatment of animals. He also advocates for a plant-based diet as a way to promote peace and justice. Dr. Tuttle has a PhD in education from the University of California, Berkeley, and he has taught courses in comparative religion and philosophy of education. He's also a former Zen Buddhist monk. His work has been featured in publications such as New York. His work has been featured in publications such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Time Magazine. As previously mentioned, Dr. Tuttle is coming to Dallas to share his beautiful message of compassion and awakening the sacred feminine on December 13th, this year, 2022. We will live stream this event as well. So head on over to this link so that you can learn more about the tickets. It's bitbit.ly forward slash doctor, D-R-T-U-T-T-L-E. And as always, the full bio and the links for each of my guests can be found on the website, healthylifestylesolutions.org. Let's meet Dr. Tuttle. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast. I'm your host, Maya Acosta. Today, we have Dr. Will Tuttle. Now, he's been on the show before, and my husband, Dr. Riss, interviewed him, and he's also been in Dallas. So we're going to talk about his motivation behind his work, the writing of his book, The World Peace Diet, and also about his visit to Dallas, which is going to be December 13th. So welcome, Dr. Tuttle. Thank you so much, Maya, and thanks, everyone, for listening in. It's great to be here. Yes. Well, we're very excited to have you coming back to Dallas, but also my listeners may be hearing about you for the first time. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your story and the main message behind your books and your work. You're also part of a five-month 
book tour that you're doing. So <laughs> feel free to start anywhere sharing about that. Right, right. Yeah, well, I have a pretty typical story in many ways. I was born eating the usual meals that everybody eats, lots of meat, dairy, and eggs. This was back in the 1950s in New England. I was born and raised in Massachusetts. And I remember when I was about seven years old, I asked my mother about it. I said, the food we're eating, is this what everybody eats? And she thought about it. And she said, yeah, that's pretty much everybody eats the kind of food we're eating. That's pretty normal. The interesting thing is I remember she left and then she came back and she said, well, that's not totally true because there are vegetarians. <laughs> and I never heard that word in my life, but I was curious about it. And so I said, what's a vegetarian? And she just said, you know, don't worry about it. You're never going to meet one. I don't know where they get their protein. You know, so I was so glad I wasn't a vegetarian. I thought these must be very strange people. They're probably dragging themselves through the dirt, not getting enough protein. And I was so glad I was getting plenty of protein and eating normal food. <laughs> so that right. was my story. And the good news for me, really, I always say the smartest thing I ever did back in 1980, so it's been 42 years now, was go vegan. And besides marrying Madeline, my wonderful wife from Switzerland. But the reason really for me to make the change was I began to just question a lot of what was happening in our society back then in the 70s, the Vietnam War, and just seemed like sort of materialism and... I was born and raised in Concord, Massachusetts, so I started reading Emerson and Thoreau and some of these more spiritual books and connecting with Christianity also. And I thought there's more to life than just making money and trying to get ahead in the world and that kind of stuff. So I decided with my brother, younger brother Ed, to leave home and go on a spiritual pilgrimage. We thought we would walk to California. You know, that'd be kind of a neat thing to do, kind of meditating and walking. And we got as far as Buffalo, New York. This was in 1975. And then it was getting really cold. It was October. So we just walked south all the way to Alabama. And so on that long walk of just meditating and walking with really with no money, it was really an amazing adventure. We stopped for a while when we got to Tennessee at a community called The Farm. And The Farm in 1975 was the largest hippie commune in the world back then. And there was about almost a thousand people living there, mostly from California. And they were all vegetarians, you know, so I got a real inside look and I was already thinking it would be a good idea to eat less meat. I was kind of thinking that doing a lot of meditating and so forth, but I, we were still eating fish and meat and stuff. But then this was a community that was actually vegan. They said vegetarian because no one even knew the word vegan in 1975. You couldn't even say it. So, but they didn't eat meat or dairy or eggs. And they had about 200 children that were born on the farm. And they were all thriving basically as vegans. So that was it. I could see that they weren't dragging themselves through the dirt, begging for protein. They were doing great. And so that was it. And since the day I asked the guy, you know, I said, why are you guys vegetarians? And he told me that it was because of world hunger. A lot of people are starving because we feed most of the grain we grow to animals and it's very inefficient. And then he told me about the suffering of the animals too. So from that day, he told me that I've never eaten any meat. I stopped eating meat right then. And then about five years mm. later, I learned more about the dairy and egg cruelty and uh, how unhealthy that is really too. So I've been a vegan since 1980. And the main reason really for writing the World Peace Diet, I would say, is just to share the good news. You know, this really wonderful good news. The good news that no one, no human being needs to eat animal-based foods because we're mm -hmm. all 
given this wonderful gift of a physical body that doesn't require any animals to suffer to get all the nutrients that we need to be healthy. That's the basic thing. But I realize that most people aren't aware of this. Most people like me were just following orders, just doing what they were told to do by people that they trust completely, like my mother, my father, my friends, neighbors, relatives, teacher, doctor, media. They all say the same thing. And so I was just following orders and I realized that we need to get into a position where, where we can begin to question these orders because nobody is malevolent. Nobody's thinking, oh, I just want you to suffer and be sick and cause a lot of hunger and starvation and misery and violence. No one thinks that. It's just we're disconnected from what we're doing. We don't think about it. We don't think about where the dairy comes from or the eggs or the animal flesh. So we're just not aware, but I think people become aware then they can begin to understand. So The World Peace Diet is a big picture book. It's a book that gives the big picture, talks about the anthropology and sociology and history and nutrition and economics and politics and you know the whole thing. If you want to understand our society, that's really the key to understand our culture. Mm -hmm. So yeah. going back to the beginning where, you know, in 1975, you became aware of you were on an adventure and you came right. upon a group of people at the farm. You know, it's interesting, Dr. Tuttle, because there's a spiritual component that you can't deny as an individual when you make a deliberate, conscious decision to no longer consume animal products. You're understanding that you're helping, in some ways, you're helping to sort of reduce the harm that animals are afflicted with, but also the planet. And there's something so beautiful that you talk about that in our society, in our culture, we don't really, you know, emphasize enough. And that's the domination of the feminine. Please tell us more about that. Right. Well, thank you. I think this is really important because we don't really think too much about animal agriculture, what it really is, but it's basically imprisoning animals into a very confined space and breeding them. The whole thing from the very beginning, we've only been actually doing animal agriculture for about 10,000 years, which seems like a long time, but in the big picture, it's, it's kind of recent. It's kind of a new thing. And I say in the World Peace Diet, it was the last revolution that we ever had in our society because it changed everything. And one of the main things it did was it reduced not only respect for the dignity and power of animals, but also the sacred feminine dimension of life because you're not only imprisoning animals and killing them, you have to breed them against their will on what the industry refers to actually in all cases as rape racks on the dairy or on a pig operation or whatever. So the female is confined and impregnated against her will. And it's very sexually violent and perverse. And we do it millions of times every day. And so what I realized in my research is that even going back when people first started doing this, it was kind of like human beings crossed mm -hmm. a line. I think we knew somehow back there we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't be doing this, you know, imprisoning and killing and impregnating these. But the thing was, once we started doing it, if you look into the religions, I'm very interested in religion. I have a PhD, actually, from the University of California at Berkeley. It's in education, but in philosophy of education. I've taught courses in comparative religion. I've studied the world religions. I was a Zen Buddhist monk, actually, in Korea back in the 1980s. And religion, to me, is really humanity's attempt to connect with spirituality. And spirituality is humanity's true nature. What we are is not a material object that was born and died. That's what we're told, that we're just this piece of matter. 
but everybody knows, we know that's not all we are. There's a being. <laughs> we have mm-hmm. consciousness. And uh, every religion, even though religions are flawed because they have this divided loyalty, one loyalty is good if they're trying to promote spirituality, but the other loyalty is to help reinforce the society. Religion exists within a society. So if the whole society is eating meat and dairy and eggs, the religion is, it's hard for the religion to really question that, even though spirituality definitely questions it. So Mm -hmm. the sacred feminine dimension of consciousness is the capacity within all of us, whether we're a man or a woman, to be receptive and to love and nurture and protect life. And this is always honored in all world religions, and it's the core of spirituality, is to see others as beings with the same source that we have. So we have this natural sense of compassion and kindness and solidarity with other beings, and we realize the interconnectedness of all life. And so the sacred feminine dimension is the key, really, in many ways, to awakening spirituality, and it's also the key to having a healthy society. Because when a baby is born, it's the mother who's birthed this baby. And the mother has that sacred feminine dimension really activated, especially through the birthing process. So she, even though this little being is there and is nothing but a lot of trouble in many ways, right? But the mother gives and loves and protects and feeds and nurtures this little being. If that didn't happen, that baby would be psychologically and physically very messed up, would be, you know, have a hard time. And so that's the foundation of healthy individuals, of a healthy family, ultimately of a healthy society. Problem is that with animal agriculture, when we started to do these really atrocities against animals to steal their freedom, steal their babies, steal their milk, steal their lives, steal their purposes, steal everything from them with violence. When we did that, we had to repress the sacred feminine. The sacred feminine is like, no, 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 (laughs) these are beings. You know, we have this basic empathy as human Mm -hmm. beings. We have to repress Mm -hmm. that. That's the sacred feminine dimension. And once that happened, then we started seeing this arising for the first time on planet Earth of a very warlike, violent, patriarchal society that developed a wealthy elite class that got rich on wars. And where boys also had to be harmed also because young boys had to learn to be hard and tough and capable of violence against these animals, against rival herders, and and even against women. So that created the kind of society that that flourished actually in the Eastern Mediterranean region back 10,000 years ago, but it spread to the Northern Mediterranean, it spread and it conquered and took over a lot of more peaceful cultures spread into Central Asia, to Europe. And then, of course, a few hundred years ago, it spread really worldwide and came over here, for example, to North America. The Native American people here said these these people came and brought their slave animals. You know, (laughs) this whole way of living, of enslaving animals and of dominating the sacred feminine. And it's still spreading through McDonald's and Burger King and Cargill and Monsanto, Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, all these World Bank and the IMF are behind it. I mean, it's this whole system, really, that we're born into, and it's still going strong, and it's projected mainly through indoctrinating all of us as children to eat meat, dairy products, and eggs through not just corporations and governments, but through the family, through the parents, because the parents went through the same thing. They were wounded, and so they pass on their wounds to their children, and the children pass on the wounds to their children. 
That's what mm-hmm. happens. It's not, you can't really blame anyone. It's just like it's a cultural thing that's gone through the generations now. It's been a, about 400 generations, really, since we first started doing this. But we can see what's happened when you repress the sacred feminine. You get the situation where we have now tremendous injustice and inequality in the world, nuclear weapons that could wipe everybody out many times over. You know, the sacred feminine dimension would, would be rising up and saying, stop this. You know, let's live in harmony with each other. Let's stop cutting down the rainforest at three acres per second like we're doing. Let's really have compassion and kindness for each other and do things a different way. But that's been repressed. It's repressed every time we eat animal-based foods. We have to just not think about the suffering that we're causing when we pay for it. And that then we turn around and we actually eat that suffering and the violence and all the toxins that go in. So mm. we end up having a whole society where people are basically, unfortunately, wounded and shallow, really. We don't want to look deeply. We don't want to feel deeply and care deeply because then we'd have to change the way we're eating. And that's hard to do because the main way we bond with other people is eating together. <laughs> we have to tell right. everybody, well, I'm not going to eat your chicken. I'm not going to eat turkey with you for Thanksgiving. You know, I'm not going to do any of that. People are afraid of that. You know, We want to, more than anything, in many ways, we're tribal and we want to fit into our little tribe and get along. And so as soon as we question the tribe's food, then we're on the outside. And so most people just put their heads down and eat the food and don't tell me about it. I don't want to know. But the thing, the good news is the sacred feminine is in there and she does care. And if we can just sort of water those seeds a little bit, and then there's other things too. The fact that it's healthier, it's, it's better really for the environment, it's better for our spiritual growth. There's many other reasons, but they're all interconnected. They're all based mm. really on the same basic principle of caring for mm. ourselves and caring for others. Yes. You said that we're wounded. And now knowing what I know today, I definitely can see that. I probably wouldn't have been able to see it six years ago, seven years ago, that part mm-hmm. of us that's wounded because probably down deep inside, we understand, we probably know that there's something wrong, something hidden from us. So I was a school teacher, elementary school teacher, and At that time, you know, you teach all sorts of basic things and understandings. And what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? And you talk about food and where it comes from, at least the produce. But we never really go into detail ever with children ever about how bacon is produced, about how ground beef is manufactured, because it's a part of us that all of us can't bear to witness. And today, when we talk about it, and you know, you want to bring it up to someone that's not familiar with what animal agriculture does to animals, they always want to say like, I don't want to know, I don't want to see it. So Dr. Tuttle, what's that about? What's the psychological component that what is going on when a person just can't bear the truth? Well, it's actually, it's called cognitive dissonance or affective dissonance. It's just simply when we have, like we have these two things, right? We have my self-image. Here's my Mm self-image. I'm a good, loving, kind, caring person. And then we have, and I just like having hamburgers and hot dogs and cheeseburgers and so forth. And then we have this other thing over here, which is, well, those hamburgers and hot dogs and fish sticks cause a lot of violence and suffering and abuse to other living beings who have feelings, just like your dog and cat, (laughs) you know, so those don't go together. So we have to go into denial, basically, about the reality that's happening. And so 
usually the mind will come up with rationalizations to legitimize what we're doing. You know, so we'll think, mm-hmm. well, I'm type O blood type and I need to, you know, my blood type needs to eat meat or I'm from the Midwest. I was raised eating animal food. So, you know, I'm too old to change now. Or I'm a Christian and Jesus ate meat, so it's okay. Or my husband, he has to eat meat. I, we'd get a divorce if I tried to change. I couldn't even think about it. Or my doctor told me, I, <laughs> you need to eat plenty of protein. We think of something. There's plenty. Our society does furnish people with rationalizations to help them legitimize what they're doing. and But most of the time, it doesn't come up too much because let's face it, I mean, vegans are probably only one or two or 3% maybe of the population. And we're not exactly sure, maybe up to four or five, but most people are not. So it doesn't come up that much. And everywhere you go, there are billboards and ads and menus that just reinforce that you're on the right page, you're doing the right thing, don't think about it. So I think that's the what goes on. It's just simply, it's a cultural momentum that's mm-hmm. enormously powerful. It has so mm-hmm. much inertia. It's been rolling for 10,000 years, and it's got itself embedded everywhere. And it's in the doctor's training, for example. They don't get any real nutrition training that actually is accurate. So they're not questioning. Health-wise, we're not questioning. Governmental agencies don't question The media, I know. I mean, that's one of the things that I know a lot about because my father, actually, it's an interesting story. He was going to be a doctor and he went to, in World War II, he was in World War II in France. He went over in D-Day plus whatever it was, six, I think. And he was a medic. He was in the medical corps because he was planning on being a doctor. And I remember when I was a kid, I said, you know, why didn't you want to be a doctor? Because he never was a doctor. (laughs) And he said, well... (laughs) He said, I saw so much horrible suffering over there. And he said, and and one of the main things I did was line, people would line up and I'd give them shots. You know, I said, I don't think it was that good. He said, I don't think you should really trust the medical profession. He always said that I wouldn't trust doctors too much. And I think I got good advice from him on that because I pretty much have stayed away from doctors for the last 45 years. And just by eating a healthy diet and having healthy attitudes and plenty of exercise, I think we can be healthy. I mean, I think health is not something we have to get from a doctor or from drugs or procedures or, you know, we're much better off to rely on ourselves for our health. But what he did do, instead of becoming a doctor, he bought a newspaper. And so I was raised in the media. I was raised in this world of newspapers and advertising and headlines. And I learned growing up, sitting around the table, listening to my parents talk about the news and what we're going to publish and so forth, that you can never run any news that advertisers will object to. They'll pull their ads. So Mm -hmm. I understand that in my bones, but most people don't realize that. And they think they're hearing the news on TV or they read the newspaper or read a magazine. They're getting some kind of accurate information. It's not accurate. I mean, it's maybe somewhat accurate if it doesn't offend any advertiser. But the biggest advertisers are the fast food industry, the medical, pharmaceutical industry, the petroleum industries, and the chemical industries, the banks in the background. They make huge money on disease. They haven't made Mm -hmm. any money on me in 45, 50 years. I haven't bought one drug or gone to one thing, anything. I haven't even gone to a doctor. So that's their worst nightmare is people who take responsibility for their health and don't buy their products. They want people who are eating foods that concentrate a lot of toxins like meat, dairy, and eggs. 
and not exercising, just kind of watching television, watching the ads that are kind of programming us to buy these foods that are harmful and so forth. So I think what we're talking about here really is a whole system that benefits a tiny elite in many ways, but Mm -hmm. the rest of us, we should really be caring about our families, about ourselves and being more proactive and taking responsibility for our health and not just allowing the culture to provide the narrative. They provide the story, but it's a story that disempowers us. And so Mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about veganism really is you don't have to use the word vegan. You can just say, I eat plant-based foods or we eat whole organic plant-based food. And to me, that's real food for real people. <laughs> you yep. know? And we don't have to even you know, be against the meat, dairy, and egg industry. We don't have to fight against anybody. We can just be pro-kindness and love and caring and eat a natural diet, a normal human diet. That's really a normal human diet. We're not designed to eat animal foods. We don't have canines. We don't have this bloodlust that wants to just tear apart little animals or something. None of it. We don't have any of it. We're naturally herbivores. I mean, it's obvious. So Mm -hmm. we don't have to even use the word vegan. We can just say we're eating normally. And that's the truth, actually. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I still have this podcast is because I want to encourage people to take control of their health and not necessarily rely on health professionals. And I'm lucky Mm -hmm. that I just came out this past week, I was at the Lifestyle Medicine Conference with health professionals from all walks of life who understand that the key to health and preventative, really preventative medicine is eating real food, like how you're saying, whole food, but also being physically active and all the other components of lifestyle medicine. And the last night before we returned back to Dallas, I had the television on, which I typically don't watch television. I was watching a holiday movie. And you know this from your experience in the media, how many commercials were advertising pharmaceutical you know, prescription medicine. And Mm. I was shocked for every little thing. I was shocked. And I'm thinking if the average person is watching television and they're being bombarded with not only prescription medicine, but fast food, that's the programming that they are receiving all the time that you need to eat at fast food restaurants, that you need to eat this way and you need prescription medicine. Look at yourself. You have symptoms. So I understand which is why I've disconnected. I'm disconnecting from uh, sources that I think no longer feed my spirit in the right way. And conversations like this is what help inform individuals that we have to take control not only of our health, but our mind (laughs) because of the content that is thrown at us. So tell us more. If one of the keys is to be in touch with our divine feminine, what is one thing that we can do to come back to that beautiful aspect of ourselves that is pro-life, that's pro-health, that's pro-connecting with Mother Earth? Well, I think you just said one of them. That is uh, to just never watch television. I mean, disconnect from, I would say, disconnect from mainstream media. When people say, gosh, how is it possible that you haven't been to a doctor in 50 years? I say, it's easy. I haven't had a TV in 50 years. <laughs> I haven't, you know, I told it, I got rid of my TV 50 years ago. I was 19, yeah, 1972. And I think we're getting so bombarded with toxic ideas in our society that really play out in our bodies. Our minds take it in. But to answer your question also more deeply, I think besides disconnecting from the mainstream media, which is really run by these forces that 
make money on sickness and disease and unfortunately on war too. To have a regular spiritual practice, I think, is one of the most important foundations to being healthy. Nutrition is important. We could talk quite a bit about food, but the basic thing with nutrition is 100% plant-based. And I would say, quite honestly, nowadays, 100% organic too, because now in the last three or four years, glyphosate has just exploded. It's in everything. Mm -hmm. So if we buy anything, almost anything that's not organic, we used to have this little list of the clean 15 and we don't even follow that. We just get organic on, on everything because glyphosate is a broad spectrum antibiotic and it really devastates the microbiome of the soil and, and us. So I mm -hmm. think organic and whole foods also try to buy as much as possible whole like vegetables, grains, fruits, nuts, seeds, and just make foods. Madeline, my wife, has a cooking channel. It's called Madeline's Intuitive Kitchen. But there's lots of ways you can learn online just to eat the way we used to eat before all these processed, packaged foods mm -hmm. with additives and drugs and chemicals added in there. So that's number one. But attitude is even more important, I think, in many ways than the food. I mean, attitude is really important. If we, we can be eating a very healthy diet, but if we have a lot of anger or resentment towards people, towards our parents or whatever, that'll work against our being healthy. And so the more we can work with our mind and mm -hmm. make a habit of waking up in the morning and just giving thanks for another beautiful opportunity, another day to learn, to grow, to contribute, to be part of making a better world and to connect with my own inner wisdom, to live my life more fully and deeply, to bless all living beings. You know, just have mm -hmm. a purpose. A lot of us in our society don't yeah. really have a purpose beyond trying to make money or please people or get something for myself. And so the more we can create a purpose that's outside of us to help others, to help the world, the more mm -hmm. we have a reason for all our cells. We have trillions of cells that are here to serve the spiritual eternal conscious, which is what we are. And if we wake up in the morning and say, well, it's Monday morning, I don't want to go to work. <laughs> you know, we're sending this message to all these cells in our body. Well, nothing for you to do today. And you might as well just get sick and not do anything. So we are the captain of our vessel. So we have mm -hmm. to be enthusiastic about our life. And that's something we can do. That's something we have the power to do. That's, Thoreau said that when he was out in Walden. He said, I know nothing that's more important and more uplifting than that each human being by their own action can raise themselves up. You, know, you can raise yourself up in your consciousness. You can learn and grow and you can learn to quiet your mind and connect more and more deeply with the source of life, which is infinite and eternal and is manifesting through this vehicle we identify with. We shouldn't identify with this vehicle. We should identify with the being who makes this vehicle temporarily possible for a few decades. We're just here for a few short decades. Mm. So we are is far, 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 far greater than that. And once we make a habit of really identifying with the eternal being that we are, then we start to see that in others. And we start to naturally honor and love and respect them. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like, what race or anything. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Or species. We start to see all beings. And then we start to just feel a sense of love for our life, a love for all life. And this is the foundation of health, is really in the attitude of awakening to the, our true nature. And then we naturally start to feel how this body wants to move, right? I mean, to move our body, to just sit and, and put our body in these strange 
positions in couches and chairs and desks and things. I mean, luckily, when I was went away to the, to the Zen Center when I was a kid, I mean, with my brother, we ended up at a Zen Center in Alabama in 1975 and eventually. And I've never had furniture in my house since then because <laughs> there they just had Zafis and Zabutons, these cushions on the floor. So I've been sitting, I've been sitting on right now. I'm sitting on the floor. I'm just always on the floor. But I just think, you know, we're raised in a society where everything is done wrong in a way. The architecture kind of is these boxes and artificial light and temperature. We're kind of addicted to being comfortable all the time in its mm. you know, narrow range of temperatures and separated from nature and afraid of nature, afraid of bugs and germs and animals. And I mean, we have to connect with nature, connect with our creativity, connect with exercise and movement and healthy food. And then the other big thing is relationships and really make take a proactive responsibility to be loving to people, whoever they are, smile to people and say loving things. We can all bless others by saying how grateful we are for the people in our lives. Let them know, tell them. The more we spread love into to human animals, people need that. Most people are going through their lives struggling, having a difficult time financially, emotionally, we don't know all the problems people have. They don't even talk about them usually. But you just, you know, don't get offended by people. <laughs> you know, they're wounded. Be yeah. loving. Just be loving. The more loving we can be, the better it is for everybody, including ourselves. You know, it really. And there's no point in getting angry at anything. I mean, why, right. why get angry? Yeah. That's ridiculous. I mean, where people do things because they're hurt. So if someone's hurt, you don't yell at them. You just try to heal them. Try to help them. Understand. Yeah. And just be loving. That's really what it comes down to. We can change ourselves. We can never change anybody else. We can change our response to other people. That's what we have power over. Mm. And we can change our response in a positive way for them and for ourselves. Even though we're not taught to do that, that's what we have to learn to do. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I like about your message, Dr. Tuttle, is that you are about having compassion for others and being gentle with the message. And you're on a tour. You're on your Benevolent Revolution <laughs> Tour, and you're going to stop by in Dallas December 13th. So tell us a little bit, what do you mean by Benevolent Revolution? Actually, the main book that I wrote, as you know, quite a few years ago, it came out in 2005, is The World Peace Diet. And that's the foundational thing. And I talk in, in that book about a benevolent revolution. You know, we've had this herding revolution, which changed everything where we dominate animals and we end up creating a lot of war and competition and so forth. So I say it's time for a benevolent revolution where it's going back to compassion for animals and nature, liberating animals, liberating each other and getting healthy on every level, healthy physically, psychologically, spiritually, environmentally, and culturally. And that's the benevolent revolution. And so I'm actually writing, and it should be coming out probably in February, I think, February or March, a new book called The Benevolent Revolution. So it's basically the World Peace Diet message 15 years later. And I think the message is the same, but it's deeper. And I think it's really about living this in our daily life and the keys to having radiant health on all these different levels because we're all interconnected. So I'll be talking about some of those ideas and we'll have time for Q&A. My wonderful wife, Madeline, will be with us and she'll have her paintings. She's a visionary artist from Switzerland and paints these watercolor paintings of animals. And 
Yeah, we have a book I'm on hoping. intuition. Yeah, that book, that's one of her paintings right there, right? Yeah, on the cover yeah, of so the book. I'm mm-hmm. holding one of the books for those of you that are watching the video of, you know, some of the beautiful books that you left us last time you visited. And she participates like her paintings or her, right. you said it's watercolor is always a part of your presentation. It seems like when we were on the vegan cruise in 2019 and you were right. playing the piano, some of those drawings were hers or watercolor. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. It's the come and sometimes she plays the flute as well. Right. Yeah. If there's a piano, I play the piano and she plays the flute. Right. And so what can we expect when you stop by December 13th? So she'll be with you and she'll have her paintings. And will you have other books for sale or just the one that will be released in the spring of next year? Yeah, well, no, we'll have the uh, the World Peace Diet book. We'll have the uh, Circles of Compassion book on social justice issues, Buddhism and veganism, which is more about spirituality and meditation and the islands of the inner islands, which is on developing intuition. Another new one called Veg Inspirations, which are excerpts from the World Peace Diet. We actually have quite a few books, but the main book is the World Peace Diet. We have a book on music and art and we have CDs and guided meditations and Madeline's paintings. We'll have actually all that stuff. And we'll have time for a Q&A if people want to have questions about anything we're saying too. So it'll be great. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so excited. And it's going to be held at a venue by an individual that is familiar with your work. Her name is Mega Shaw at her shop, which is called True V. And it's the only commercial kitchen that's fully plant-based that people can rent out. And she also has a small business with bite-sized, delicious foods that she's going to talk about when she comes on the show as well. But I'm very excited for us for the fact that you're coming back to Dallas because there's a new generation of of individuals, younger people who are really eager to hear from you. And then the rest of us that are familiar with your work, we're going to come back together. And there is, you know, I want to add that there really is the spiritual component that before I became vegan, I sort of was drawn to spirituality. But I think what was holding me back from fully making that transition was the food. And once I changed my food and I stopped eating animals, once I stopped contributing to the animal suffering, I felt connected, like connected like never before. You know, I love nature even more, but I also realized nature feeds me all the beautiful, colorful foods that I'm taking in. And along with your really just speaking about the divine feminine and how what we eat affects the planet, you also promote healthy eating, which is you touched on that earlier. Us eating whole foods, real food is important for our overall well-being. So this is, I look forward to you coming back. I'm very excited. So thank you and for um, putting us. Yeah. Oh, hi, Madeline. How are you? <laughs> hi. 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 <laughs> so excited yeah, so to have be, you back. Yeah, she'll be with, she'll be with me. So we'll, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very excited to talk with both of you. And, and you'll be traveling in a van. That's the one that you're staying in and during your tour, right? It's a little tiny one. Yeah, a little it's tiny a little van. One. <laughs> little tiny one. Yeah, different one. We'll have to show you. We have a camper van as well. We don't have the time. Wrist is still working. So we don't have the time to spend in it for long periods of time. But right. when we downsize like that, when we experience that, we realize we don't really need half the things we have. Yeah. And we're more connected to nature. More happy and so, more outside time. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, yeah. we're excited to have both of you visit us again. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with my listeners? 
Just thank you for your precious time. And we look forward to seeing you, hopefully yes. on December 13th when we come through Dallas. You can go to our website, actually, worldpeacediet.com or willtuttle.com, either one, and see the okay. schedule. If you're not right in Dallas, if you're in you know another city, we're coming, we're going to do about 30, 30 or 40 different cities in the next four and a half months. So we also have, we have a training. If you want to go deeper into this, the World Peace Diet a facilitator training. Madeline, we have lots of videos of Madeline's cooking and my lectures and, Q and lots of different stuff. So yeah. yeah, maybe check out our website too. That's we right. Do. I'll add those links in the show notes. Well, Dr. Tuttle, we'll see you in a few weeks. And thank Great. you again for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Dr. Tuttle is on a five-month book tour to promote his book, The World Peace Diet. In it, he argues that the key to creating a peaceful world is to stop consuming animal products. He bases his conclusion on his own journey from eating meat and dairy to becoming a vegan, as well as his study of the history and philosophy of religion. And Dr. Tuttle outlines some steps that he believes are necessary to create world peace, and those are a awareness, compassion, and change. He argues that awareness is the most important as it allows us to understand the violence inherent in the animal agriculture industry. Compassion is necessary to motivate us to make the change and to create a more peaceful world. And then finally, change the most difficult as it requires us to fundamentally change how we think about food and our relationship with animals. Here are a few things to keep in mind. We are all interconnected. What we do to animals, we do to ourselves. This means understanding that our actions have consequences for us and the animals that we share the planet with. When we harm animals, we are hurting ourselves and the world. Once we realize that, we can begin to make changes in our lives that will help reduce the suffering of animals and promote a more peaceful and sustainable world. We can make a difference by supporting businesses and organizations with humane animal policies. We can vote with our dollars. We can send a powerful message that we do not want animals to be hurt or killed for our benefit. We can also choose to eat less meat and dairy or to go vegan or vegetarian. Every little bit helps and we can create a huge impact when we make all of those choices. We are responsible for educating ourselves and others about the truth of animal agriculture and its impact on animals, our planet and our health. To do this, we must first become aware of the reality of the situation that animals are being imprisoned and killed for our food and that it is causing tremendous suffering and violence. Once we know the problem, we can question it and then learn about alternatives. Many resources are available to help us understand more about the impact of animal agriculture and options for change. And we can also talk about what we are learning and help to raise awareness about the issue. We can make a difference by making compassionate choices in our lives, and we can understand the psychological component of why people choose to ignore the truth about animal agriculture. This industry causes a lot of violence and suffering to animals, yet many people consume meat, dairy, and eggs daily. And this is because of what we call cognitive dissonance, 
when we have two conflicting ideas. In this case, we consider ourselves to be good, caring people, yet the food that we're eating is causing harm to animals. Our minds will rationalize the situation and come up with reasons why it's okay to continue eating animal products. For example, we might tell ourselves that the animals are treated well or that they do not feel pain. However, the reality is that animal agriculture is a cruel industry, and the only way to end the suffering truly is to stop consuming animal products altogether. It can be challenging to switch to a vegan lifestyle, but it is essential to remember that every little bit counts. Every time we eat a vegan meal or purchase cruelty-free products, we make a difference. The more people can make compassionate choices, the more significant the impact we can have. In addition to reducing the amount of suffering in the world, veganism is also one of the most effective ways to combat climate change. Animal agriculture is responsible for significant impact on climate change. So by eating vegan, we can help to slow down the effects of climate change. According to Dr. Will Tuttle, the key to creating a more peaceful world is to stop consuming animal products. He argues that our treatment of animals is the root cause of many of the world's problems, including war, poverty, and environmental destruction. And he also advocates for a plant-based diet to promote peace and justice. I'd love to hear how you apply these principles of awareness, compassion, and change in your life. Let me know in the comment below. And also, I hope to see you at Dr. Tuttle's lecture here in Dallas. As always, my friends, thank you for being a listener. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. Thanks for listening.